Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Lee Hansen, and I, I serve here at CPC as the Director of Student Ministries and Associate Pastor at the Table. Uh, I'm also a new member uh, recently, uh, and so that's, that's fun and it's exciting. And you know what? I love mornings like this. I absolutely love mornings like this where there's a lot going on. There's a lot of movement in the service, and we get to see videos like this and hear numbers like we as a community packed 1.7 meals, uh, 1.7 million meals together, that there are 300 kids that come here on Sunday mornings and hear about Christ, that we send 800 students on trips throughout the summer that they might grow in their relationships with Christ and learn how to make a difference for his kingdom. And I get excited about that because when I think about you and when I think about this community and I think about us, you know, I was new to this community about two and a half years ago and and people ask me, what's it like here? And one of the things that I always say first is that I believe that CPC is a very generous community. And so I love this series that we're in, that we're going to talk about it for a couple of weeks, because I think it's two things. One, I think it's a, it's a commendation of you. I think it's a compliment, because this happens here. It takes a lot of manpower, a lot of hours, a lot of resources to do the things that I just talked about. But I also think it's, it's an encouragement that we can ask ourselves, what's next for us? Because I don't want us to be complacent. I don't want us to think that we've done good enough. I always want us to be stepping out in faith. And so I get excited that we're going to take a couple weeks and talk about this Gen 3 project. How do we generate generosity across the generations that we can make an impact for Christ in this place? Well, a few years ago, uh, I was in Fort Collins, Colorado, and I was taking seminary classes for a summer. And Colorado is an amazing place. I don't know if you've spent time there, but the mountains are unreal. The air is so clean and so crisp and so fresh. But after a long week of studying systematic theology and Old Testament survey, it's nice to get out of the classroom and and to have some fun. And so we would do all sorts of fun stuff. We climbed mountains. We went on hiking trips. We went whitewater rafting on a regular basis. Well, one Saturday, uh, some friends of mine, we did what all good seminary attending missionaries do on a Saturday— And we toured uh, a beer brewing company. (laughs) Now, I had never been to a brewery before, but Fort Collins is the home of two major breweries. One is Budweiser and the other uh, is the Fat Tire Brewing Company. And so I went on this tour with some friends, and and it's actually a really interesting process to learn how how beer comes to be and all sorts of crazy machinery. And this one company in particular has a unique story. It started with some guys in a garage, and they, you know, bought this home brewing kit, and and it really became a thing for them, and they started this great company. And I'm, I'm walking on this tour, and I'm listening to this guy, and I can see how excited he is, and I can see his passion with which he really has for beer. And I'll never forget at the end of the tour... We're sitting around this bar, and it's the time where everyone can can sample the beer. And we're sitting around this bar, and I'm I'm listening to this guy talk. And I'll never forget what he said. He looked at me, and he said, I love that I get to spend my days doing what I'm passionate about, making beer. (laughs) And I I had a response a little bit like that, like, huh, huh, oh. (laughs) Like, like, really, like, this is what you're passionate about. And I I walked away a little actually kind of sad, and and I thought, how tragic That when you leave this world, that when you leave from this place, that you will be remembered for making beer and getting it into the hands of other people. And I'm not against beer. I don't mind the good beer. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying, I I, I think that that, that it was sad to me that this is what this man was most passionate about and that this was the legacy that this man would leave. Now, if you've been around CPC for any amount of time, you'll recognize this face on the screen. This woman's name is Lee Kerr, and Lee has been 
an unpaid volunteer receptionist for us here at CPC for 14 years. And Lee is committed to making our reception area as welcoming and as warm as she possibly can to all who come. Lee ministers to kids. They come in on Wednesdays and they look forward to seeing Grandma Lee and eating her treats. She sets aside special treats for our mailman. Lee hand types on Monday morning on a typewriter, mind you, your prayer requests and faithfully prays over each and every single one of them. Lee writes a devotional that sends out to hundreds of people. And when Lee leaves this place, she will have passed on a legacy of faithfulness, of service, of grace, and of steadfastness across a multitude of generations. And CPC, here's the deal. We will all be remembered for something. That every single person in this room will, in fact, leave some sort of a legacy. And so my question for you and my question for me is, what will that legacy be? You've heard me maybe teach uh, or talk about my nephews. I've got four of them, and they're four years old. And if you've been around kids, you know, we get excited about their first words. And they're normally words like mama and dada, right? My first word was vacuum. I used to love to ride around on the front of that thing. But shortly after our first word, when we start interacting with other people and people come into our space and they start rubbing elbows with our toys or our clothes, we learn another word. Can anyone guess what it is? It's mine. Yeah, it's mine. My toys, my clothes, my stuff, my mom. It's mine. And we laugh about it. but, But I think that word hasn't been left at the age of four because I see that many people are marked by this word throughout their lives. I see this word written on people's wallets. I see this word written on people's to-do lists. I see this word written on people's daily planners. And I would argue that if we want to be a generous people, if we want to invest in the next generations, then there has to be a shift that has to happen. That we have to shift our mentality from what can I get from the world and what can the world give me to what can I possibly give away to the world. In this series, we had talked about staying in the Gospels. Because we want to look at Jesus' life. And I kind of stayed in the Gospels, but I cheated a little bit. But I want to start in, in Matthew chapter 1. It might be a little surprising that I'm going to start with a long list of names. But, but as I was reading this long, mundane list of names, wondering why does this list of people find its place in the very beginning of the New Testament? Why is it important that we see this long list of names of some I can pronounce and some that I can't? And what's the significance? A few things strike me about Jesus' lineage. First, I see the gospel of grace in Jesus' heritage. Right? Like, I see a long list of these people, and some of you know their stories. They were indeed great men and women of faith. And they also were all men and women who had great failures at one point in their life. And I can relate with these people. They're normal people to me. The second thing I'm reminded of as I look at this list is that that we don't really get to choose our heritage, do we? We don't get to choose our families. We're stuck with our brothers and sisters, for better or worse. We're stuck with our our parents and our our relatives. That that we don't get to make a choice about what family that we're born into. But what we do get to choose is what legacy we're going to leave behind. And amidst this long line of great successes and great failures, we stumble across a name, King David. 
And I want to talk about this story and this man, and not necessarily as a a role model for how we should make all of our decisions or how we should live our life on a day-to-day basis, but instead I want to look at a story from a man that I can resonate with of a time in his life when he got it right. The story is in 2 Samuel chapter 9. If you want to open up your Bibles and follow with me, that's fine. If not, it's on the screen. But before I, before I start the story, there's a few names in here, and you may not know who they are. Uh, the, the, the key names in this story uh, are David, Jonathan, and Saul. Well, David is the new king of Israel. Saul is the past king. And Saul had a son named Jonathan. And David had served, John, uh, David had served Jonathan and Saul faithfully for years. And David had become best friends with the king's son, Jonathan. They had shared lots of memories. They loved each other. And David had served the previous king for years. So the story starts, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. One day, David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I could show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So he summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am, he replied. So the king asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? And if so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Zeba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. And by the way, he's crippled in both of his feet. So the story of David and Mephibosheth begins with David remembering the covenant that he had made with Jonathan. He had promised Jonathan, because of the love that Jonathan had demonstrated, he had promised both Jonathan and the Lord that David would look after any of Jonathan's descendants if something were to happen to Jonathan. And so the story starts this way, and David desired to share that love with any of the descendants of Jonathan as he had promised. That's why he inquires if anyone is left. The story picks up in in verse 5. So David sent for him and brought him from Makur's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. And when he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, said David. I intend to show you kindness because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, And you will eat there with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show kindness to a dead dog like me? A couple interesting things about this story is that as I read this story over and over and over this week, I noticed a few things. First, I noticed that it goes out of its way. The story really wants to make clear that David is the king. It says it some nine times in a short 13 verses. So I want to remind us that David indeed has the power and the authority, the right to do as he pleases, because he is in fact the king over all of Israel. Second thing, it, it, the story also goes out of its, its way to show us that Mephibosheth is crippled in both of his feet. Three times it says it. And at the end of the story, it reminds us one more time. It, it happens to end and it says, and by the way, Mephibosheth was crippled in both feet. Really doesn't want us to forget that fact. And it wasn't very acceptable to be crippled. And you would certainly not traditionally find a crippled man at a king's table with all of the other esteemed guests that would be there. 
last thing that we need to know about this passage is the historical context. And, and the reality around this day is that when, when a new king would take the throne, it was customary, it was expected, it would have been normal to wipe out anyone who was of the previous heritage of the king before. It would have been normal for David to have wiped out any descendants of Saul that would have potentially posed any sort of threat to his kingdom. And so when I think about those things, I think how different this story could have been and how different this story could have actually read. But David chose in this moment to give to the next generation in a way that I really believe has a word for us. I think the first thing that I see in this story and from David is this idea of intentionality. If we want to be about the next generations and if we want to live our lives in a way that's going to leave a ripple effect, I believe that we have to stop and we have to be intentional. Right before chapter 9, it talks about this conquest that David was on and and the author of 2 Samuel lets us know, it says that God's favor had been with David everywhere that he went. And if you've ever read the Psalms, you know that David has written many of the Psalms. And so uh, by deductive reasoning, I have to believe that David had after this great successful voyage that he was on, stopped. And he took some time to get away with God. And that he processed. And I can see him praising God and asking God, God, you've given me this position. You've, you've given me this authority. You've given me so many resources. How can I honor you with all that I have and all that you've given me? David stopped and he took the time to ask those questions. And he made a plan. I can see him sitting there, okay, uh, I, I remember this covenant I made, God, I remember the promise I made to you. I, I'm going I'm to see if there's anyone left, and I'm going to bring him in, and, and I'm going to give him back everything. Everything that's theirs, I want to give it right back to him. And, and so David stopped, and he was intentional, and he, and he reflected, and he processed, and he invited God in to that process. And he, and he came up with a plan. If we go back to verse 3 in the story, it says that David says he wants to show God's kindness right and so yes it was a promise that he made to jonathan but really it was a promise that he made to god and when we put ourselves in an intentional place to stop and remember the promises of god god does something inside of us and when we want to share and give those promises of god away that's when we see change that's when we see lives affected and that's when we see movement for the kingdom And so it was really God's promise, and God's promise is what changes people. And as followers of Jesus, at some level, and in some way, we've all made promises to God that we would be the type of people that he wants us to be, that we'd go where he wants us to go, and that we'd live how he wants us to live. Generous hearts that are given to us by this good God, when we stop and take time to let God in, Generous hearts look for opportunities to give, and it starts with being intentional. The second thing I want us to notice is that after David stopped to process and take the time to be intentional, that David actually took action. And that's where I so often fall short. I couldn't tell you how many meetings I've been in where we had this great strategic plan. We knew our current reality. We laid out great vision, mission, and values. We had action steps. And then we went out and spent the next five to six hours or days with little thought to what we had put together in that meeting we often will spout out these grand ideas but we rarely spend our days consistent with what we want our legacy to be it's like we skip that middle part without even realizing it you know when i look out at this congregation 
And there's so many of you that I don't know. But I love the stories that I have heard and that I've seen about how you are all gifted. And you are all wired so uniquely. And God has blessed you with amazing talents and convictions and resources. But it's all kind of wasted unless we learn how to spend those things that God has given us lavishly on others. It's all wasted if we keep it to ourselves. And it's less about the big picture and and more about how can I spend myself lavishly today. And I see that in this story. Because David, it would have been good enough for him just to simply look after Mephibosheth. Because that's what he had promised. But he didn't want to simply do the minimum requirement. He invited this man into his home. He gave him back all of his land, his livestock. He gave him servants. He invited his family. David went above and beyond and lavishly bestowed what he had been given from God. And I believe that that's a message for us. Because David's gifts of protection and provision and position that he gave were far more than he was ever expected to fulfill. And I believe that how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. You might have heard it said, show me your checkbook and your daily planner and I'll show you what's important to you. And I'm with you in that, that I have these great dreams and these big plans, but so often they fall short because of my day-to-day life. And I know that it's hard. A friend of mine uh, and I, we were out at dinner the other night talking about just how hard this is. Because sometimes living to make a difference for the generations isn't always easy. And there seems to be so many roadblocks. And it feels like there's a lot more hard days than good days. And, and way more days that feel ordinary than way more days that feel extraordinary. Will Walker wrote a book called The Kingdom of Couches. And he says this, he says, we're unpredictable people, aren't we? He says, often my my best energy runs out long before my intentions are realized. My purest moments are undermined by bad habits and self-interest. And I think we get often caught up in having big fancy dreams. Then hear me, I want you to have big dreams. I want you to dream big and dream about what you could do and what God could do. I want you to have those. But David had a dream and he wanted to give to one. And I believe that that's where we can start. Many of you know that on Wednesday nights uh, around this community, the high school ministries meet in people's homes, some of your homes, in fact. And there are hundreds of students that come to hear about Jesus. And with that, we have tons and tons of college students and young adults that want to come to give their time to these students. And I was at uh, one of these groups the other night and, and I was talking to one of the leaders. Taylor just graduated last May and decided that he wanted to sign up to give every Wednesday night, hours upon hours, to lead a group of boys for the next four years. And I learned that it just so happens that the group of boys that we gave Taylor, only one of them has been showing up for the past two months. And it also just so happens that the boy that comes to this small group has special needs. And I can't imagine what's what's that's like to, to grow up Maybe not feeling normal or being treated normal or having the same relationships. But as I'm listening to Taylor tell me this story about how he's continued to faithfully show up and have conversations with this boy and laugh with this boy. Share stories and tell him about Jesus with this boy. And Taylor is making a difference in one person's life. And Taylor, like David, is lavishly giving of his time 
his talents, and his resources so that this boy might know and experience the kindness and love of Jesus Christ. And this boy's life will be different because of Taylor's investment. And this boy will know Jesus differently because of Taylor's investment. The story of David and Mephibosheth ends with letting us know that Mephibosheth had a son. And I have to wonder how his life was different. How this son of Mephibosheth's life was different because of the actions of God's kindness shown through King David. And I have to wonder how his sons and his daughters and their sons and their daughters' lives were different because David chose to lavish God's love and God's kindness on one. That's why I love this story. Because in this story, we see God's heart and his desire for us to give in the way that he has given to us. Mephibosheth experienced the grace of God, and that always changes people. He was, King David was faithful with the small things, and it made a big difference. And if we want to leave the generations with a legacy of grace, a legacy of faithfulness, of steadfastness, and of Jesus. I want to offer a few simple starting points and reminders. I think it starts with being faithful. And it doesn't need to be a a big, grand, kingly gesture. I believe that consistency over time takes change. Consistency over time equals change. And so where do we start? I think we have to start with being intentional. Right, That we can stop to reflect and to process and to invite God into that. Ask him, say, God, what, what have you burdened my heart with? What, what am I good at? What do I love to give away? What do I have to give away? And how can I do that? And then the second thing, I think that we could start by being intentional with one person or one place. And if you're already involved and you're already giving yourself, that's amazing. And I encourage you to find out ways that that you can even give more. That you can partner with God to to take your leadership to the next level. But if you haven't started, find someone to mentor. Find a small group to lead. Find a nonprofit or a ministry area that you can be a consistent, faithful presence at. And it's okay to start with one. Because one causes a ripple effect that can have the potential to echo into eternity. And let's shift from this mine, mine, mine mentality and let's stop asking what the world can do for me and start asking what we can do for the world. Amen? Pray with me. God, thank you that you are the giver of so many good gifts. That you have bestowed upon us a multitude of treasures. And thank you that we can partner with you to give those away, to bring them all back and and lay them down at your feet, that the world would know who you are, Jesus, and that the following generations would hear your name and the generations after that and the generations after that. Amen.